Good morning, family. It's great to see you this morning, and uh, we've been we're listening to the worship time and just partaking as we were driving over uh, from the South Church and just really experiencing just such a special sense of God's presence, and it's always wonderful to just enjoy that and step in here and just feel how God is busy with us as a church, and um, so it's my privilege to continue to share with you a little bit this morning around Romans 12 and uh, what I'm going to do today is actually take a little bit of a detour back uh, in Romans 12. We've been progressing down the chapter and talking about different sections. But as I was just praying about it and thinking about it, there was a portion of Scripture that I felt we didn't give enough attention to and we needed to come back. So we've actually extended it. And next week I will wrap up the series of, uh, of the perfect pattern in, as we've been in Romans 12. But today I want to go right back to Romans 12 verse 2, and where in Romans 12 verse 2, it is this, this sentence that I would like us to focus on today, where it speaks about that you may know the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I think for all of us, we agree that to know God's will would be the greatest thing in our lives. I, I often pray this prayer for myself and for us as a church, and I pray, Lord, give us the privilege of knowing your will and living in your will. I think it is the most privileged place to be is to live in the center of God's will. But that's not always easy to achieve and to get to. So today we want to spend a little bit of time in talking about what God's will is and how do we get to God's will. Now, as I've been studying Romans and Romans 12, and, and because of studying Romans 12, just reading a bit broader around the book of Romans also, and you know, studying the context, I, like I've said before, I just get so deeply impressed and appreciative of Paul as an author and a thinker and as a person and how he did such an amazing job of presenting truth to us and helping us understand how life works and what it means to live life to glorify God. And uh, this morning I'd like to read a portion of scripture with you that's right at the beginning in Romans chapter 1 and I'm going to read a couple of verses, quite a number, I think it's 13 or 14 verses that we'll actually be reading together, 13 verses. And uh, so it's a lengthy portion of scripture. But it's also not an easy portion of Scripture to listen to. It's a negative Scripture, if you want to talk about it like that. It, it's Paul portraying something negative. And um, I wanted to read that because I think we need to understand why Paul does this. And, um, you know, sometimes when you want to highlight something, you need to create contrast. You need to put it against its opposite. And uh, Paul is trying to explain to us through the book of Romans and the, and, the, and the readers of the time, he's trying to explain to us how much we need salvation and then how salvation will come about. And in order to do that, he starts by explaining to us that we need salvation and creating for us the picture that will make us all believe that we actually need salvation. As somebody once said, that before you can get somebody saved, you must first get them lost. In other words, sometimes people need to be convinced that they lost before you can help them. Uh, many years ago, we were in a salt rock area, swimming in the, on, in the sea there one day and on holiday. And I don't know if you know that area. The sea there is particularly rough, and it's a, quite a slope when you come from the beach into the sea, and there's a current, and it, it sort of quickly takes you, and they're very nervous in that area. And we were one day swimming, and one of our boys, I think he was about 10 years old at that stage, but he loved the sea. So he'd be those, that kid that you always have to watch out for because he's like running and, and just enjoying himself. And he was swimming and having a great time. And the next moment he looked and there was a lifeguard next to him trying to rescue him. 
So he sort of slapped the lifeguard away and said, leave me alone, I'm swimming here. And the lifeguard says, you are in danger. You need to be rescued right now. He didn't even know that he was in a current and being drawn into dangerous places. And, and I think that's so often the story of our lives, that we don't know how much we need to be rescued. So Paul writes and he begins Romans and he makes the case that we need to be saved, that we are in need of salvation. So if you'll allow me, I'm going to read these verses to you. We're not going to put it on the screen. And I'm just going to read through this, these verses and I want you to just to listen. And uh, while I fully understand these are not nice verses to listen to, I would like you to just try and pick up what Paul is doing here. And there's a specific phrase that I would like you to listen for. This phrase is going to be used three times in this section as I read it. And we've learned by now that when Paul uses a specific phrase a couple of times in the same portion, he does it for a reason. So I'd like you to listen out for the phrase that says, for this reason God gave them over. God gave them over. Listen for this phrase as we read Romans 1 verse 20 to 32. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolishness, foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the women and burned in their desire towards one another with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being fulfilled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips. Slandered, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Tough portion of scripture to listen to. Did you pick up the three times that Paul says, therefore God gave them over. Now, I think this, important, this scripture for us is very important to have some level of understanding of because it is included in the scripture of Romans. And Paul, from there, departs on a journey to help us understand God's will. As I was reading through this and and studying and just reading up some commentaries about this scripture, I started seeing this pattern that Paul was describing again as we are looking at patterns and reminding ourselves that there are two patterns that we have to deal with, the pattern of this world and the pattern of the kingdom of God. And as we've looked at the scripture that says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, do not become like this world, but be transformed, changed into the pattern of the kingdom. 
So what Paul does in Romans 1 is he, he highlights for us the pattern of the world. And he actually explains to us the process of how the pattern of the world leads us away from the will of God into what he calls depravity. And there's four steps that is involved in this process. And three of those steps, the, the, they actually the steps one, the first one initiates these three things have to happen. Um, but these three steps, every one of them is highlighted for us when he uses this phrase, and God handed them over. Now what does it mean when the scripture says God hands them over? Here we have a picture of people pursuing something that is wrong, that is not God's will. And then it says, and God hands them over. Basically, if I understand it correctly in the main, is it means that God is allowing the, the freedom of choice that they're exercising to come to its natural conclusion. He's allowing the choices they make to lead to something else and for them to feel the consequences of those choices. He's not withholding the results of their choices. So this is the process. Let me quickly try and explain it to you that Paul highlights he says that God made the heavens and the earth and he made us to bring glory to him and to have relationship with him. And throughout creation, he made himself known and he is visible. But at some point, mankind decided or men in their own lives decide that despite the fact that I can see and, and it's reasonable to think that there is a God, I'm going to not live for him and pursue him. So if, I, if you don't mind, if I can just use this little section of the, of the platform here. If, if this is God made me to live in this higher place of his will, to know his will is to, if I can say, let's say this screen here today represents the revelation of the will of God. If, if I want to pursue God and his will for my life, I have to be paint pointed towards that screen. My life, my heart, my everything is about Pursuing that which God shows me and reveals to me is his will. So I'm turned to there. But now in, because of sin and the fall of sin, man decides that I'm not going to pursue God and his will. I'm going to turn away and pursue something else. Now sorry for you guys, nothing against you, that side of the building. But that screen represents what is not God's will. And as I turn away from God, this, this is supposed to be my focus. This is what gives me life and direction and, and drives me and my passions. Last week, we, uh, last time I was here, I spoke about you know, the, the passions, your thinking, your affections. That it's all supposed to be set on this. But the moment I turn away from God and I turn towards something else and start pursuing something else, that something else that I give my passion, my, my heart to becomes an idol. Whatever that is, whatever I substitute God with becomes an idol. And now I'm turning away from that and I'm now starting to live towards this. The moment this happens and I start pursuing this, the first thing that happens in my life is I take a step down onto a process that leads me into death and sin. And this first step I take is what Paul says, and therefore God gave them over, and then in that sentence it says, to the impurity of their hearts. Impurity. So the first step down from this level where God created me to live in his will 
after I've turned away from him, is the first step down is impurity. Now, what is impurity? Impurity is like pollution, contamination. It's like when my brueki, my little toast bread, falls on the ground. I know some people believe in the five-second rule. You know, that if your bread falls on the ground, if you pick it up within five seconds, there's no contamination. But do you know that science has proven it's an instant transfer? The germs jump on that bread. They sit there all day long waiting for your toast to fall on the ground. That's all they do. That's their life purpose is they're waiting for the toast. So the moment the toast falls on the ground, they jump on it and they contaminate it. I was made by God to live on this level, to seek his purpose for his purity. Purity is about me living the life I was meant to live and to use my body, to use my desires for things that are good and that build and, and, and strengthen me. The moment I step into impurity, I'm starting to eat of things that harm me and hurt me, contaminate me. They start breaking me down. Instead of building me up, taking me towards the purpose for my life, to be transformed into that which God has for me, I'm now being conformed into the things of this world. Once I start this process, if I don't stop it at this point and stop and turn around and say, God, help me and turn back and come back up and pursue God, I'm gonna go one or other direction. I said it last time that no man lives in neutral. We're always pursuing something. So if I'm not pursuing that, then I'll take the next step. And the next step, and it says, and God gave them over, and then it talks about degradation. The word degradation is a Latin word that literally means to come down a grade, to come down a standard. It's like if you have been given a degree and somebody takes away your degree. Or in the military, if you received a rank, and because you did something, you are dishonored and your rank is taken away. You come down another step. You lose another bit of the purpose you were made for. When I allow impurity in my life, I'm starting to enjoy and feed off things that are actually harming me. As that continues, I will start to be degraded and I start losing my power and my ability to do what I'm supposed to do in life. I'm being degraded. And if I don't stop at that point and return, the next step will take place. I can either go that direction or this direction. There's no other option. The, the next step that then takes place, which is then the last step, is deprivation. I become depraved. The word depraved is also a Latin word which means completely down into a complete loss of purpose and value. I was made to live for God, to glorify Him. If I turn away from Him and walk this road and step down into impurity and feed off impurity, impurity will degrade me eventually. And if I allow the degrading to carry on in my life, I will become depraved. And once I'm depraved, I am no longer doing and being who God's called me to be. I have become conformed to this world and just live in this world. And that's not the will of God for me. That is not what God wants for me. Now, what Paul does here in, in Romans 1 when he quotes this scripture and when he talks about this, he's, he's actually having a little bit of a dig at the Jews. 
Because what the Jews of the day would do is they would look down upon the Gentiles and they would often quote a list like this and say, look at the Gentiles, how depraved they are, how impure, how degrading, how depraved they are. They are bad sinners. They do all these sinful things. Look at them, how terrible they are. And look at us, the Jews that have the law of God, that try and pursue the will of God, and we are better. And they would exalt themselves and look down upon the Gentiles. But now Paul is writing to the Romans and to the church where there's both Jew and Gentile and he's bringing them together into a new dispensation which is the dispensation of God's grace. But the Jews are saying, no, no. Actually what the Jews are saying, we don't need salvation because we are not part of that list. That's not us. That's the Gentiles. Yes, we understand. The Gentiles, they need salvation because look at how impure and degraded and depraved they are. But look at us, we keep the law. So therefore Paul writes this and he talks about this depravity and then he goes on to Romans 2 verse 1 to 5 and I'm going to read it with you. It's going to come on the screens also. Therefore, remember, whenever there's a therefore, you ask what it's therefore. Therefore, therefore because you say these things to the Gentiles and you think you're so good, let me tell you the following. Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, then you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing wrath up for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. He's saying to the Jews, you think you are better than the Gentiles, but you are exactly the same as them. He's saying to them, you cannot judge them but you are doing the same things. Now, it wasn't necessarily that the Jewish people were doing the same sins or types of sins as the Gentiles were, but every person that is not fully pursuing the will of God is guilty of the same process of impurity, degradation, and depravity. It may look different in every person's life. It'll have different components, different characteristics to it, but it's the same process. Unless you live your life fully set on what is the will of God, you are being part of a process of deprivation. So what Paul is saying here is he's holding up this list of terrible sins, and he's not excusing those sins. He's not saying, you know, don't judge one another. In other words, sometimes people make that to mean there is no sin, and you know, you can't say anything. That's not what he's saying. He's saying these are sins. But just don't think that you are better than anybody that, that does this. Because you have the same process in your life. And he's building the case. What is he building a case for? We all need salvation. Because what it led to was the Jews actually saying, we don't need salvation. Not, well, not as much as the Gentiles do. But Paul is saying, we all need salvation. Therefore, if you read on, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but just Romans 3, verse 23. How many of you know Romans 3, verse 23? One of the first scriptures we learned in HEDT. How many of you did HEDT? 
I mean, that's like the 80s and 90s. Now, Uncle Sherry, we, were, we had a thick wad of scriptures like this that we had to memorize in the Hatfield Evangelism and Discipleship Training course that we did. And I was like in a teenager and I had to learn. And still today, I can remember Romans 3 verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of, or the wages of sin. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned. We all have sinned. So Paul is making this case. He's saying, Jew and Gentile, everybody, we have all sinned. And we are all deserving of God's punishment because we fall short of his glory. Romans 3.23. But then he moves forward. He's taking us on a journey. He establishes the need for salvation. He includes everybody in that need. And then he comes to Romans 6 verse 23. Romans 6 verse 23. Where is my Romans 6 verse 23? There we go. For the wages of sin is death. But, but. So I've established the bad news. Everybody needs salvation. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. There's nobody that is excused or not part of this story. But as much as we are all guilty on this side, we all can be saved and inherit eternal life. Our destiny is no longer that we have to pursue the will of the pattern of this world. We can pursue the pattern of the will of God. That has been made possible for all of us. So if I now jump to Romans 12 and verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world. Do not run after this pattern. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Set your mind, your passions, your desires, your affections on the things of God. If you do that, then you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Good, acceptable, and perfect. It's interesting for me here that Paul uses this word. He says that you may prove. Some translations test. What he's literally saying to us is to know the will of God is a process. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit just now. But I, when I was reading this and meditating on it, and I studied a little bit, and, I, and I, I was trying to figure out how does this work, and went to the original language and read some of the original language and the words, and particularly when I got to this, these three words, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. When I read them in the original language, something started clicking for me, and I, it struck me, that those three words, good and acceptable and perfect, are the antonyms of impure degraded, and depraved. They are the exact opposite of those three words. So it is almost this that God is saying. Well, I don't, I, I, this is what I think Paul means. He says, you are now here and because of turning away from God and coming down, there's a depraved reality. But if you turn back to God, even here at this base place where you've moved away from what the will of God is. If you turn to God and say, Lord, I focus my mind, my passions, my desires on you, God will reestablish in your life his good, 
good. The word good is the opposite of, of impure. Because good establishes in our lives what are the things that we need to enjoy and feed on so that we can become strengthened and regain that which God has called us to. The good, acceptable, now I must count my steps to make sure I get you to the right place. Acceptable. Acceptable is the opposite of degraded. Degraded is taking something and using it for that which is less than it was meant to be used for. Have you ever felt degraded by the way somebody spoke to you or treated you? Because they, they, used, they, they treated you less than what you're supposed to be treated. Acceptable is treating something the way it was supposed to be treated. So when I focus on God, He rebuilds in my life acceptable. And then He brings me back into His perfect. Perfect is the exact opposite of depraved. Where when I'm depraved, I have lost the sense of purpose and what I'm really supposed to be about. When I come back into perfect, the word perfect is also often translated complete. When I'm depraved, I'm completely out of the will of God for my life. When I have become perfect, I am completely back into the will of God for my life. So do you see that powerful journey that God walks with each of us? Each of us. And it simply begins with saying, renew the spirit of my mind. I'm focused on your will, Lord. I want to live for you. I want to do what you want me to do. So how do we do that? How do we allow God to rebuild us through that process? How do we get back into that which God originally intended for us? And, and I think that's where the words of Paul is so key here, where he says that you may know, that you may prove or test the will of God. I want to show you three examples from the Old Testament, from Genesis, about three men that were being restored back into the will of God as part of our bigger story. These are our ancestors that all came along after the fall of man. And the first one is Noah. And Noah's story starts where the whole world came into deprivation. So much so that God said, I, I'll have to press reset. I have to wipe out all of this that I've created. It's become so depraved. It completely lost any recognition for what I originally made it for. It's completely not what I wanted. It's completely depraved. And because of that, God said, I have to cleanse the earth and start over again. That's a scary thought. But praise God for the rainbow. He says, I'll never do that again. But at that point, God said, this is depraved. So if we read in Genesis 6 verse 13, God is looking to reestablish his will. So he speaks to Noah and he says, I'm going to put an end to all people after the earth is filled with, uh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Can you see God's desperation? Now, we may read this and think, oh, God is being very harsh and unkind. I think if we, if we saw what God's heart was at this moment, how broken and sad and how absolutely distraught he was at having to do this, this was not his will. He found no pleasure in this. But everything was so depraved. So he says to Noah, Noah, I'm going to make it rain. You need to build a boat and then, you know, get your family on the boat and two by two all the animals and then I'm going to make it rain and you're going to be on the boat and then one day I'm going to let you out of the boat and we're going to start all over again. Now this fascinates me. How did God show Noah 
what it means when he says it's going to rain. Because if I understand the scripture correct, it says up until that time it's never rained. So I don't know if God had some PowerPoint presentation or some video material that he used or whatever, but he was able to communicate to Noah something that Noah did not know could happen. Talk about having your mind transformed. So God communicates to Noah. What I love about the story of Noah is not only does God tell him what's going to happen, what the problem is, he tells Noah exactly what to do about it. He gives him the boat that he's got to build, the dimensions of the boat, how long it must be, how tall it must be, you know, how, whatever you must do. He tells him the exact plan, A, B, C, D, all the way to Z. He gives him the blueprint. Noah just had to, like every day, God was his project manager. He was like, this is what you do today. Isn't that wonderful? How many of you would like it if God always did that with you? Have you ever felt a stirring of God in your life and God says, your season is coming to an end and I want to lead you into my will in a, in a next season, but that's all he says. Or does God always tell you, you know, let's say it's your workplace and God starts stirring in your heart that your season at what your job is coming to an end. He's got, his will for you is to pursue something else. And then he tells you, tomorrow morning, this time you're gonna get the phone call. This is what they're gonna say to you. This is how it's gonna happen. This is the meeting that it's gonna be in. This is the new job you're gonna get. This is how much they're gonna pay you. This is, does God, has anybody ever experienced God do that for them? Anybody? If you have, please, will you pray for the rest of us? Wouldn't it be nice if God did that? But so often in our experience, it seems God treats the revelation of his will more like he did to Abraham. So Noah's story happened. Now God was taking the next step on the journey of restoring us back to his will. First he had the covenant with Noah. Now he was establishing a covenant with Abraham. That through Abraham, a family would be built. And through a family, a new way of life would be established. And through that new way of life, a nation would be built. And out of that nation, eventually would come the Savior. So God is busy laying the steps. But now he needs somebody to be the next person after Noah to, to reestablish his will. So in, Gen in Abraham, uh, we find this man. And in Genesis 12, verse 1, we read the following. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. This sounds much more like how God normally deals with me. Do you know that Abraham didn't know where he was going? Imagine Abraham going to Sarah, saying, Sarah, God spoke to me. Who's God? What God? Who's this God you're talking about? Because they weren't, you know, they were idol worshippers at that stage still, as far as we understand. So he goes to Sarah and says, Sarah, God said to me, we must leave. We must go from our home, our country, everywhere. Where are we going, Abraham? I don't have a clue. Just, we've got to go. How many of you think Sarah went, amen, <laughs> hallelujah, let's do it, let's pack and let's go. Or how many of you think she asked, is it warm there, is it cold there where we're going? You know, are there friendly people, is it by the sea, is it not by the sea? If I had to dare to tell Natasha that, you know, something like that and not be able to fill in where we're going, I don't know how so excited she would have been about the journey. But this is what God does with Abraham. He says to Abraham, Abraham, you got to go. I'm taking you somewhere. I'm not going to tell you where it is. I'm not going to tell you any much. Just follow me. Like Jesus comes, walks by the shore, and he says to the disciples, follow me. Not much detail in terms of where we're going, what's happening. 
Isn't it amazing how God so often does this with us? Where He expects of us to journey with Him towards His, faith, to, towards His will and purpose for our lives. But He just gives us enough details to get us to take the next step. He doesn't really tell us all that much. Have you experienced that in your life or is it just me? Because if it's just me, then it's a solvable problem. But if it's more than, if it's most of us, then we know then it, that's how God does it very often. I think of this church, for instance. Having grown up in this church and having been here since, you know, I was about nine years old and having lived through so many of the changes and the things that God has done in this church. And I think how often it has been that as a community and as a body, we felt the Lord say to us, there's something new that He wants to do in our midst. There's a, there's a new thing that He's leading us into. And how often the people of this church had to stand up and say, okay, Lord, we are going to go with you, but we're not quite 100% sure where this is going to end up. You know, I think when it started, when, when we started with being, uh, allowing the Holy Spirit in our midst and the, being charismatic and the baptism of the Holy Spirit in those days, I don't think anybody knew exactly where that was going to end up. But there was just this sense, this, this passion. And I, I think this body, this, this, this Hatfield Christian Church has been such a powerful church that has been so phenomenally used by God because of its ability to keep its eye on what is the will of God. And that has not shrunk back over the years to say, Lord, we're going to pursue your will. Even if it requires things of us that we don't quite understand, but we're going to go your will. Like Abraham, we're going to pursue you. Like the disciples, we're going to follow you, Lord. Our security is in you, not in the destination, but in you that go with us. And I think the Lord has never shrunk back from challenging us as a community and, and calling us. Because it's only in that if we are prepared to follow God and to, to pursue His will, even when He doesn't do like He did with Noah, give us all the details, it's only then that we can establish something new that brings the kingdom of down to earth in a more visible and real way. And I, I so appreciate this, this church that has been able to do that. And I think God is still doing that with us. I think right now God is asking of us as a community to step into places and to follow Him and to trust Him to lead us into things that we have a good idea and a good picture of what God has, but we don't quite have all the details 100% worked out. I think right now God is calling us to a new place. I think of how this church over all its history has always been about more than itself. I think one of the major testimonies of this body is how this body has always not only just looked after itself, but has had a, a generous spirit and an and a open heart towards how, just sharing what God has given us and, and journeying and seeing the bigger picture of the kingdom. How many other churches have been blessed, not only in this city, but in this country, through this body, as God has called us to not just think about ourselves, but to think about the bigger picture. And it's those things that has made us a brave people and a people that have had the, the privilege of journeying with God. Not only have we, we've sown so many people across this country and across the world from this church that God has taken from times and sometimes it didn't really suit us, but God said, I'm going to take somebody. And we've had to have that generous spirit and say, Lord, we give, we release because we believe in a bigger picture. 
I think where's Pastor Sid and Alvin? They're here. There, where they are. There they are, Pastor Sid and Alvin. I mean, they've pastors in this church for how many years, Sid? Since 1991. So you figure out how many that was until they retired. About 25 years or so. And been a, such a blessing to this body. And then they retired. But now it's so wonderful to celebrate that with them that Maranatha Church, you know we have a very good relationship with Pastor Leonard Stone. And through TCN we work together. And Pastor Leonard's on our advisory board here. And they asked Sid and Alvin if they wouldn't come on staff with them and be a part of their pastoral team again. So they're going right back into full-time pastoral ministry. And isn't that such a wonderful thing? And we want to pray for you and bless you guys and that it would be like a, not, what did they say? Not retired, but retreaded and off you go for the next, next bit of the journey. But how this body have, have always found ways and been used by God to be a blessing in so many other places. And to me, it's interesting that even for us, we have to consistently journey and test and prove what the will of God is. We don't just know it and, you know, you don't find the will of God on a Saturday afternoon sitting on your couch and a DVD is delivered and it explains to you with a map and a guidebook and everything, this is the will of God for your life. You test it. You pursue it. Sometimes it's a little bit of a trial and error situation. Very responsibly, you try and do the best you can to pursue God's will, but you know, every now and then God says, no, no, this is a, you need to make a correction here. Or a, but if you're going to stay and say, Lord, I can only follow you once I perfectly know what you're saying, I think many of us will just stay in the same place. We have to have faith. Faith to pursue God. I think of my own journey for me and Natasha and just the things that God has done in our lives over years and things that have ended up in completely different places than I never thought what, what God would be doing. But having to just be able to say, okay, Lord, I believe this is your will and we're just going to step forward and trust you for it. And when, when this wonderful opportunity came our, our way to be senior pastor of the church here and for me to take over in, in that capacity here, Right from the word go, we felt when together with the leadership of the church here and the leadership of the South Church that God is again taking us into something new. There's something of a bigger picture that he wants us to see. And as God was starting to journey with us and talk with us, we, and, and over the last year or so, we started seeing a picture of, of God saying there's a, there's a church that he, that he wants to do that is bigger than just one building and one place. A church that, is, that, that includes something that has a, a kingdom synergy and a kingdom life to it. A community of people that is empowered to do the work of the ministry, to be the workers of God in their mission field, which is all around us. So, and and, a, and a, where there's a team ethos, where there's an ethos of community, of togetherness, where it's not built on the, just the purely the activity or leadership of a few or of, of one, but it's a, it's a togetherness as we journey forward to what God has. Each of us discovering what is God's will for my life and how do I live that in my mission field, which can be my hashtag worship station, workplace, or whatever that may be. And so when, when this started happening and, and we had the conversations about coming to lead the church here, we felt that God was saying something about the two churches coming closer together and working closer together to establish some form of a synergy and some learning experience for us where we've got to say, Lord, we're stepping forward into something bigger than ourselves. We don't want to just stay the same. 
but we're trusting God leading us forward, stretching us. And sometimes, you know, in that period when, you, when you're pursuing God and, and you don't, you know, you're in that process, some things are a little different, sometimes even a little strange or unusual, but you're saying, Lord, we believe you're guiding us and you're leading us. And as a church, I want you to know, I, I, as a leadership, we really believe God is busy with us as a church and he's taking us forward into some new things. And part of that is how we work together with other churches and many different levels. And one of the levels is how we cooperate with the South Church and grow together. We don't see that the two will become one church, but that there's a, a synergy relationship, a closeness that needs to be developed between the two. So currently I'm in this position where I lead both churches and, and that may be a bit unusual and I can promise you it's not, it's not more unusual for anybody else than what it is for me. And, and having to drive between churches and, and these are amazing things. And it, but can I ask you that we all together open our hearts and say, Lord, we just want to do your will as the best we understand it. We're going to pursue, we're going to step forward. And we trust you to guide us and lead us. And we'll, we'll make adjustments along the way, Lord, but we cannot stay still. We've got to move forward, Lord, into your will. We've got to pursue what you have for us, Lord. And I, I want to ask you to pray with us and to journey this with us, to say, Lord, how, what is this? What does this look like? What, what are you taking us into? So that God can give birth to something new. And I think it's all of us. We're all in this journey together. We all have different parts to play. But I think at the end of the line, the picture we're seeing is the church that is able to impact the city in a bigger way than we've ever been able to do it. Because it is led by the, by the Holy Spirit under the Lordship of Christ with a security in our hearts of how much God loves us. And how much God is for us. And that He's the one that holds us all together. And that our vision, our common interest in building the kingdom in this city is the thing that holds us all together. More than what a person holds us together or a structure holds us together. Those things are all important and they have parts to play. But ultimately what brings us together is our desire for the will of God. And our willingness to journey in that. And I, I ask you simply, just let's keep on praying together. Let's keep on seeking the Lord together. Say, Lord, where are you going with us as a body? And let's find our way into that, as Abraham did. You know, God couldn't reveal to him the next detail until he got to the next place. And God journeyed with him. I think of Joseph, for instance. You know, Joseph, God gave Joseph a dream. and We read about it in Joseph, about Joseph's story in Genesis 37. Verse 5, it says, Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. What was his dream? What was the revelation that God gave Joseph of his will? He said to Joseph, the, the, the sheaths will bow before you. And, and Joseph understood that his family was going to bow before him one day. So he came in great, you know, excitement and told them all about it and, and they didn't really handle it very well and you know it led to him being sold into slavery and acting like he's dead and, and all of that happened. Why? Because jo and why did God allow that to happen? I mean God showed Joseph this is the picture. This is where I want you to go. And then Joseph gets in trouble for pursuing that. 
Why? Because Joseph may have seen what God needs him to see, but his heart was not ready to do what God wanted him to do. His heart needed to be reshaped. His heart needed to be realigned and readjusted. And so often I think this is part of the reason why God doesn't give us the full picture of His will. Because it's the journey that's important in terms of reshaping our hearts. Because Joseph had to go through the time in prison, Potiphar's house prison. He had to go through the time of of struggles and, and it's in that time where God did something new in his heart so that the day when his brothers stood before him, it wasn't a, aha, finally, you know, it's come around, it's my turn now. It suddenly there was a compassion in his heart for his brothers. There was a different thing. He didn't want them to bow before him. That was never the intention of God that they would bow before him because he was superior. It was actually them bowing before him because he was God's provision to them. But the journey was what shaped his heart. The scripture says, Thy word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. How often does God do that with us? Why does God do that? Why does he not show us the full picture 3D? Because... For God, it's not just about the destination. It's equally about the journey. Because the journey is with you and with me. The journey is God coming and standing right next to me and me holding his hand and God saying, okay, I'm your light. If we step one forward and if you step with me, then the light will move a little bit forward. And so God leads me on this journey and I walk with him. The problem is if I start seeing the picture in full dimensions and understand it, I let go of God's hand and I run off into the darkness and I think, I've got it, I know what's going to happen. And I build the picture the way I want it. And not only do I mess up the picture, but I miss the opportunity of journeying with God. Why did he make you in the first place? To have relationship with you. So even the journey of restoration, coming back up, To know the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. To pursue that will is not something he's standing over there and waiting for you to get there one day. He's with you every single step of the way. And that's what brings him joy, is to journey that with you. God is with us. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. God's with you. So right now, you may sit in a place in your own life where you're saying, Lord, I just want your will But just tell me what it is. Sometimes God won't say much, but he'll come close. And he'll just hold you and say, come on, just walk with me. Just take the next step. Just take the next step. Because as we take those steps with him, his heart becomes our heart. Our hearts get changed. We become the will of God. We don't just pursue the will of God. We also become the will of God to others, and to a community around us. I I just sense that there's many people here this morning that you have set your heart on on, on discovering God's purpose for your life. But it's not always easy. But today God wants to say to you, I am with you. You don't have to be scared to test and prove and step out in faith to know my will. Step out. 
Be responsible. Seek God's face. And when you, when you think you've known it the best and you've been accountable and you've followed good processes and you've prayed through it with other people and you've really made sure your heart is as good as you can, is for the right reasons, then step out into God's will. If it is wrong what you're doing, He will guide you back. But you have to test and prove what the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. And I think even in that, there's this progress. God first reveals His good will, then His acceptable will, and then His perfect will. But you can't get to perfect if you don't start the journey. You walk. Trust God. This is one of the sayings of my life. I trust God's ability to lead me more than my ability to follow Him. God has a way to get us where He needs us to be. He knows you. He made you. He's got plans for you. Sometimes those plans take a weird turn and they take a 90 degree turn and you end up like Sid and Alvin. I don't think they ever thought they would be pastors in a place like Kempton Park where you have to keep quiet every five minutes for an airplane to pass over. <laughs> Never thought that that would happen. But if you stay in the presence of God and seek, He, he can delight you with surprises because He always, always has more in store for us than we can think. One of you want to stand with me this morning. And I want to take, pray two prayers. First prayer is I want to pray for us as a congregation, as a community, Zatfield. And I want, to, I want to pray with you and say, Lord, we are here to do your will, to seek your face, to do what you tell us to do, Lord. And we prepared, Lord, to follow after you. Can we pray that this morning? Will you, will you pray that with me this morning? You're comfortable to pray that? Just raise your hand if you say, I'm going to pray. I'm going to trust God with you. And then secondly, to pray for each of us that in our own lives, we would be that God's will, we would have the strength and the courage to seek God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this amazing church, this wonderful body of people. Not only the current members of this church, but all the people throughout all the years that has been part of Hatfield. Thank you for the legacy, for the, the church that has found its way forward because it's always put you first and been prepared to, to make the decisions that will lead us into the next things that you have for us so that your kingdom can come. Thank you, Jesus. And I pray for us right now in this time where we are, that our hearts, Lord, even though we may sometimes find things a bit unusual, that our hearts would be able to say, Lord, speak to me, guide me, show me your will, and show us your will together, Lord, that we will follow after you. Thank you for the picture that you're putting in our minds of a church, Lord. that can have an influence and an impact on this city. That is an impact that transforms a city. That is bigger than us, Lord. That is bigger than what one person can lead even, but that you're bringing us together in a community and, and with teams and, and in so many different ways that we can step into a future and see your kingdom come in a greater way, Lord. Give us grace for the journey ahead, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. And then, Lord, I want to pray for each individual here today and say, Lord, 
We want to know your will. We choose your will. We're not going to go down into a journey of depravity, but we're going to seek God's will for our lives. And we, Lord, we recognize that that's not always easy because it's a journey. But we're ready. What a privilege it is to journey with you, to have you right next to us, Lord, to guide us and lead us. And that's what excites us. We look so, we're so excited about walking with you every day. And at the same time of actually getting to the place where you want us to go. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. I pray for any person right now that feels frustrated. Feels a bit lost perhaps. May even feel like they're wandering around and don't know in aimlessness. I pray right now that they will feel your presence next to them in Jesus' name. And that you will become their true north. You will become their security and their direction right now. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Thank you for that, for your presence. Who knows what God can do with the people who are absolutely surrendered to His will and to His purposes? Who knows? Who knows what God can do with your life? Seek His will. We thank you for our time together today, Lord. I pray for every person as they go into their mission field in this week, as they go and be the light and be the salt, may they experience the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit that goes with each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being with us. We would love to pray with you this morning. Our pastoral team, our elders, some of our leaders will be in the front. If you desire prayer for anything, just come and let us pray with you and, and trust God with you for His will and if you need healing in your body, we trust God. We believe God is a healer. Come and let us pray for you and see God do His healing touch in your life. And the Lord bless you. Have a tremendous week.